You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. This is the cycling podcast Femina at the Women's Tour. Today, we're in Clacton. like to be beside the seaside no 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 rose no. rose i said uh, last night no singing oh. please i know you love to be beside the seaside and somebody else who loves to be beside the seaside is today's stage winner lorena vibus who won in south end yesterday clacton on sea today i mean can she make it the hat trick in felixstowe tomorrow there must be something about this fresh sea air and the sound of seagulls that brings out the best in her does it bring out the best in us i don't know lizzie what do you think lizzie banks well, I'm currently sitting here in the sunshine, had two cups of tea, feeling great. Definitely bringing out, bringing in, bringing me out in smiles. I love it here. Oh, there we go. That, that's a glowing, uh, uh, glowing uh, review of Clacton on Sea. It obviously was uh, a little bit grey and moody earlier today, wasn't it? But the blue sky came out to greet the riders as they came into that sprint. But there was plenty that was going on before that. So, Lionel, why didn't you just take us through your? Your mints, <laughs> your story of the no, stage. No, no. your story <laughs> of the stage. You don't want to call it mints anymore. I'm not going to call it mints anymore, uh, Rose. No, it's um, it's not appropriate. It's not mints. <laughs> it, it's not appropriate for vegetarians. Anyway, You're the stage. Lionel's corn. <laughs> Lionel's corn mints. Stage no, go on. The story of the stage, Lionel. Stage please. Five. From Colchester to Clacton, the shortest stage of the race at 95.4 kilometres, but. We saw the biggest, most sustained break, certainly the biggest time gap of the race. Uh, an early attack by Hayley Simmons of Cams after around eight kilometres. She attacked on her own, perhaps hoping somebody else might go with her. She built a bit of a lead going over Tenpenny Hill and the lead then continued to rise quite dramatically, I thought, reaching a maximum of around four and a half minutes with 50 kilometres to go. For a brief period, Connie Hayes of AWOL O'Shea was clear of the peloton too, but that turned into a classic chasse-patat because she was not closing in on Hayley Simmons and she was soon back in the bunch. Then there was a small counter move by the Queen of the Mountains leader, Elise Chabet of Canyon Sram, and two bike exchange riders, Sarah Roy and Anne Santesteban. Uh, they went clear on the Manning Tree climb with around 27 kilometres to go, and that was the point when Simmons' lead was beginning to evaporate. The peloton began to step up the chase. All the big, powerful teams put a couple of riders on the front, and by the time there was 20 kilometres to go, the lead was just 30 seconds, and she was caught very shortly after that. There was a short-lived attack by Soraya Paladin of Live Racing, but she too was caught. Another few skirmishes on the run-in, and then the expected sprint finish. Vibus made her move with 150 metres to go, and world champion Elisa Balsamo was second. Mayo Van Galoof was third. Moving on up after her fifth place yesterday, Chloe Hosking was fourth, and that is four stage wins out of five for the Netherlands this week. And the overall is also going the way of the Dutch with Demi Vollering still one minute and nine ahead. No changes to the top ten, but Vibus is also in the lead of the points competition. And the race sadly finishes tomorrow with the longest stage of the race from Haverhill to... Felixstowe. Thank you, Lizzie. Let's hear from the back-to-back stage winner, Lorena Vibus. 
Um, well, it was again a good day and um, we had everything under control with the team. We had Liane in the chase for the, yeah, the rider up front and uh, we had no moment of stress. And with the lead out we came a bit too early, but at the end I still found my way uh, through the peloton, uh, came in front and almost directly started my sprint. I had some speed from uh, behind, so that was good. With the lead out himself, we were with 2k already in the front and I had two riders left in front of me, so that was a bit too early. But um, in the last left band, I found my way to the front and I think I started my sprint again at 150 meters or something. It's always good to win and it gives a good feeling. So uh, tomorrow another day and we go for it again. Did you ever have any doubts with the lone leader having such a big lead or did you always feel it was under control because of the, the, the teams that could chase? Um, we had it under control also with SD Works um, or yeah, chasing also and Falkar. So we put also one rider in and uh, yeah, we had it all under control and because it was also one rider in front, it may be different uh, if there were two or three. So uh, yeah, it was all good. And we didn't really see the finish very easily, but you were coming from further back. But who was the rider you had your eyes on, uh, the person you had to overtake? Because we saw the, the rainbow jersey was up there. Was that who you were chasing down? Um, well, in the last band, I only wanted to go to the front and out of the, the... Yeah, to find my way and not to be boxed in. So I had not really one person to look for it, but more my eyes on the finish line and... Uh, yeah, when I was free to sprint, I just went. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to our title sponsors, Super Sapiens. You can find out about the continuous glucose monitoring technology at supersapiens.com. I'm upset I had to miss the, the start because I had to train today. But honestly, like, she's bike racing, I love her. I get to see my female colleagues doing their thing at home. And uh, Casper had a day off school today and you wanted to come see, see the girls racing, didn't you? And it's great, you know, like, the women's tour, it's massive, you know, um, what Mick and Sweet Spot do to promote the race, to grow it, um, it's, it's looking at the future of, of the sport. You know, we're in a transitional phase now with uh, with with women's sport in general. And uh, obviously, the irony of me as a man talking about it is it can can be quite difficult. But uh, you know, I've got a wife, um, Peter, and, and she's educated me a lot in the last ten years. I've got a daughter, and uh, I never want my daughter to grow up not being able to do what she wants to do, like having a like being told she can't do something just because she, she's born a girl. And, uh, and yeah, and all the girls that are racing now and uh, the women's tour, they're, they're growing. Um, they're growing the sport. And unfortunately, some of the girls now, they probably won't see the benefit that they're having on the sport 
you know, um, and take the next generation. And uh, I hope they can be proud that like the legacy they're building is is what's going to give my daughter and uh, the girls of that generation the opportunity that, uh, that the girls now have been fighting for. So. I think for Lorna to get back-to-back -back wins is is pretty cool. You know, I think there's been a lot of sprints, um, and actually they've been quite uh, quite interesting sprints. You haven't really known how it's going to go till till the last meters. Um, that's what we want to see. You know, um, teams getting messed up and then um, riders using the head and uh, not using the head, but using their instinct in there and having a kind of unpredictable result. Um, it's been it's been exciting. It's a great place to have it. Well, that was Mark Cavendish, who was out in his De Quick Quickstep kit yesterday and took his training ride to meet the women's tour and was watching on the side of the road. And today he was, uh, well, he was a guest at the finish and he was on the podium with the riders as well. He brought his young uh, son, Casper, with him. And well, it was good to see him here supporting the women's tour, watching the racing and uh, obviously he made a comment there about watching the sprint finish because that's his uh, area of expertise somewhat isn't it um these are of course his home roads more or less aren't they because he is based in essex but uh, i don't know what do you think uh, about mark cavendish dropping in to watch a bit of the women's tour he was at pains to say it wasn't a day off he did actually train this morning i mean no one's trying to accuse him of shirking um even in this late stage of the season but uh he got a big cheer when he was announced to the crowd, that's for sure. I think it's brilliant. I mean, from my perspective, Mark has always been a, an amazing supporter of women's cycling. Whenever I've been at events with British Cycling, he's always made such an effort to really include the women and and gone out of his way to, to make you feel included and make you feel like an important part of the team. And of course, he's a huge icon in cycling. And so if we've got that kind of backing um, uh, and that kind of advertisement from our, for our sport that, you know, a champion like Mark Cavendish says, hey, this sport is so great, come and watch it, then it can only be a good thing for viewership and, you know, to increase, increase the kind of media coverage of our sport. Well, Mark Cavendish was out on the course yesterday. Lizzie, you've been out on the course every day. So let's hear the stage five edition of Lizzie's Recon. Day five of Lizzie's Recon and I'm starting at the end today. I am in Clacton-on-Sea where the riders will finish the race. The riders are starting in Colchester this morning where we were staying overnight last night and it was a very misty morning this morning. So I'm hoping that mist rises. The roads are a bit damp here, a bit greasy, not very nice for a sprint finish. But lovely view of the seaside, so maybe we'll see them on that pleasure pier after the race. I'm just in Mistley and luckily the mist is rising and the geese and the swans are lining the road ready for the race to come through. But we've seen something pretty interesting here this morning that we've not seen before. It's a seal. It's a seal? Yeah, which I've not seen for a long time. So yeah, yes, it's a seal. We actually just see him, see him Sharon, over there, look. And it's spooked all the swans and the geese. Yeah, so yeah. they've come to the side of the road, they're waiting for the women's race, and then they get spooked again. <laughs> but no, it was only when I was photographing the geese that you noticed they all came in, and then I watched this. Well, you could actually just see all the seagulls go obviously round him because he's got a fish. If you look over there, see, see that line, look? See, that's where he's swimming. Look there, right out in front. Just keep that, just yeah, that boat. Yeah, can see his head. Is that that little bit? No, no, that's a, <laughs> with the right of the boat. Just keep, see that line? That's where he is, look. It'll come up in a minute. Just round the corner from the first ever seal sighting at the women's tour. You heard it here first. 
I am in Manningtree and I'm at the second of three QM points of the day. The first and third is Tenpenny Hill, which the riders hit on the circuit. So this circuit here, sandwiched between Blackwater and the Stour Estuary, and we do a lap of this Clacton Peninsula. Now we were going over the QM, but it was a short punchy climb, but it was very short. The scenery and the terrain has once again been very flat today and I really don't think there's going to be much that's going to challenge the riders. In the bunch, you're going to save so much energy once again. So if there's a rider off the front, it's going to have to be a strong rider, a time trialist or a really strong group to stay away and it's going to be a lot of hard work compared to sitting in those wheels. just reached Tarpenny Hill which is the final QOM of the day and I've just got to the point where the roads open up a bit and they come a bit wider and faster. Now looking back when I was at the northern point of the course the roads became smaller and smaller there was a section of farm tracks now at that point it's definitely advantage breakaway you can't see riders up the road you know even if they're five seconds ahead they're out of sight here the road opens up and it gets so much faster and the momentum in the bunch gets quicker and quicker and riders come through to the front and things just roll so much faster. So if we've got a breakaway here, it's going to be advantage peloton and it's going to be a real race to the line. Well, coming down the course within the last 10 kilometers, I just spotted a 1980s Tour de France service vehicle. Pete, are you providing service and wheels to the riders? Uh, yeah, I, I would have for kids, but not today. <laughs> What's the story of this car? Uh, it was used at Good Goodwood Revival about 12 years ago. So it's not a cycling vehicle? It's not, but it, it's very similar. I did use these on the Tour de France, the same vans for the, for the bicycles. And what, what have we got here for the listeners? Uh, it's an 850cc uh, Renault 4 van. Um, very slow, but very, very fun. <laughs> well, you'd fit right into the Tour de France and, um, yeah, put a few wheels in the back of the car. We had a bit of a mishap with one of the riders on the first day. Neutral service didn't have a wheel for her because they were running disc brakes, but you would only have rim brakes in this van, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, only rim brakes, yeah, yeah. None of that, uh, none of that new modern rubbish. <laughs> Just coming up to 500 metres to go now. That was a super fast run-in from the final QM at Tenpenny Hill. Thankfully, it's been quite a bit less complicated than the run-in yesterday. Although just as we're coming through 500 metres to go, there are a couple of traffic islands, both at 500 and at 400. Hopefully that's not going to cause any complications like we saw yesterday, but this has been super, super fast. It's a blue jersey, using that one Well, we've uh, sat in the cafe too long and they've closed and they've kicked us out. And now we're, now we're right by the shoreline. I don't know whether the listeners can hear the beautiful lapping waves of Clacton. We really do like to be beside the seaside. Oh, well, very good. my researcher tells me that uh, apparently when the tide is out, 
Uh, there are some sand dunes out there somewhere and they are exposed to the extent that you could take a boat out there and people play cricket on the sand dunes. I hope that's not... In the not, middle of the sea? Yeah, in the middle of the sea. I hope that's not, um, you know, a wind-up. I'm sure anyone How much from, does your researcher like you would be the question. I don't know. He might, he might be trying to stitch me up somehow and get people... <laughs> from the Clacton area saying that's absolute nonsense you can't play <laughs> cricket in the sea without a wetsuit and a snorkel anyway well that you know from one sporting endeavour to another and you know we Clacton actually saw we had a lap a lap and a half as we would have heard from Lizzie's recon um, around through Clacton so the first person to come into Clacton earlier was Hayley Simmons and you said earlier Lionel that her breakaway was the most sustained uh, that we've had so far it looked pretty pretty good for her at one point Lizzie yeah the the gap got out to four and a half minutes at one point on the course and I was really wondering if we were going to have a kind of Anna Kiesenhofer effect move when you know we've seen the Dutch and other teams (laughs) but but you know Often the onus has been on the Dutch, and again it has been today with Demi Vollering in the leader's jersey, to, to bring it back and to sometimes screw it up a bit and, and just leave it a bit too late. And I think it's one of those things with women's cycling because we don't have um, teams that are as big. And here, we were saying earlier in the week, a lot of the teams have small numbers because it's the end of the season, they're exhausted, they're injured. And so were there even going to be enough numbers to chase? And of course, we didn't have live pictures, so we couldn't actually see what was going on in the bunch. And it seemed like there was a point where the teams lit the afterburners and said, OK, let's chase this down now. And suddenly the gap just tumbled. I think in in the first 10K from 50 to 40, the gap went down five seconds, then two minutes, then another minute, and then it was reeled in pretty quickly. I thought it was a risk, though. I mean, Hayley Simmons is a time trialist, isn't she? Former national champion, looking ahead to the upper coming British time trial championships um, a decent hit out riding on her own and I, I did wonder how similar that effort is to a time trial obviously it's not on a time trial bike um, but I thought it was a bit of a risk four and a half minutes it's not you know not to be taken lightly but there was enough firepower and some in the peloton to bring her back under control as you say Lizzie relatively quickly well I really wondered if they'd underestimated her because the teams that would have had the onus to chase which was really SD works and then well potentially Valkar or DSM looking for the sprint now those are the teams that wouldn't really know who she is so Trek would know because you've got Lizzie Dyke okay yeah we know Simmons we know she's strong but Trek aren't going to bother chasing they're going to say well DSM you won the stage yesterday you do it or Vollering if you don't catch her you're going you're gonna to lose your leader's jersey so you know it's your problem if she doesn't come back yeah that was one significant point wasn't it because for uh, quite a while Hayley Simmons was in the virtual race lead and I suppose that might have been the moment when they thought okay we're getting towards the last 40 50 kilometres an hour and a bit of racing now's the time and uh, although it was a was a big gap um, they were able to take big chunks out of it quite quickly. Uh, well, Lizzie, you spoke to her at the just past the finish line, I think, and this is what she had to say. That was a hard day out there. <laughs> it wasn't the plan. <laughs> it wasn't the plan. Yes, it was. It wasn't reversed was the time trial. Not well. Mark had said to me, "Oh, it would be really cool if you could like maybe slip away before one of the intermediates, if they'll let you, and pick up a couple of bonus seconds. You know, jump up into the top 20." So I went, and then nobody came, and then I was by myself for a really long time. <laughs> so you wanted to go, but you wanted people with you? Well, I don't know. Like, I kind of wanted to get a few bonus seconds, maybe, and then kind of maybe chill in the bunch before tomorrow's 100 miler. But um, 
Well, you know, what do you think when that gap went out to four minutes 30? You must have been thinking at that point, I can do this. Yeah, you know, I've done a lot of long time trials. You know, I've done 50 miles, 100 mile time trials. So I'm used to the effort. I've actually been set quite a lot of 90 minute efforts in training this year. Um, so I'm, I know what I can do for 90 minutes. So I kind of got on my rhythm and, and went and I thought, maybe I can hold it. And then I was also thinking, I wonder if there's a combativity prize for the day. <laughs> I was just, you know, it's cool. And it's really nice on home roads um, because people were shouting my name and going past the schools. I was getting a lot of support. So it was really nice. And what's up? What's coming up tomorrow then? Then more home roads for you tomorrow. Actually much closer to your home tomorrow. So it's going to be a pretty special ride. Another day out in front or easy day in the bunch? Uh, maybe not another day out in front. But yeah, when I was looking on the map uh, for tomorrow's stage, uh, we go through uh, a couple of places that I used to have cafe stops so uh, there's a really nice cafe in Clare so you know it might be nice but no thanks for the heads up that's good yeah. for me you yeah. might not be able to stop yeah no you have a piece of cake for me and it's really nice to see you Liz well that was Hayley Simmons there of Cam Spasso who was the uh, lone leader for much of the of the day today she actually enjoyed her time uh, out on the road she said that she heard a lot of people shouting her name and then there was one guy who said thanks for the traffic jam <laughs> which she managed to <laughs> managed to hear as she uh, sped past him. Um, so obviously not not everyone in Clacton quite so merry about. Um, we had a little bit of that yesterday, didn't we? And I was reading up about the South End area, and it is one of the most densely populated areas of England outside of London. So there was a lot of traffic out there, wasn't there, yesterday? And uh, yeah, I guess you know people who want to go about their daily business being inconvenienced for 10 or 15 minutes it's just too much for some people <laughs> well yeah i mean there's certainly there were some great crowds at the end here in uh, in clacton as you heard you know earlier getting to see cav uh, on stage as well but yes yeah, so hayley simmons um she was brought back like we like we said by um sd works and team dsm uh, getting the victory in the end with lorena Weebus. Uh, but it wasn't actually as straightforward um as you might have thought for that uh, i spoke to pfeiffer georgie after the stage um who was telling us a bit more about um how it was a little bit of a scramble to the line for team dsm I heard that Juliette Laboux had a puncture at quite a critical critical time. Yeah, she had a puncture just uh, before the QOM, which was probably the worst time in the whole race to have a puncture. Um, so it took quite a long time for her to get back. Um, but then I just waited at the back of the peloton, so when she came, then we could get back to the front. Um, so yeah, in the end, it worked out fine, and yeah, it's still second on GC. And how did the lead-out go? Because obviously the QOM was not that many kilometres before uh, the finish. Yeah, so we just tried to find each other and because Liana had done a lot of riding earlier in the stage, then it was, yeah, we knew that it was just going to be three of us and then Lorena. So we kind of had to be a bit more smart with starting our lead out um, and try and use other teams a bit. And then our goal was the left corner with 2.3k to go and we, yeah, were second team behind track there. Um, and then we had to, teams were coming from behind, so I had to kind of start a bit earlier than I'd like to. Um, on the front with still only just me and Leah before Lorena so it was a bit early but in the end yeah she could find her way and yeah super fast so she could take the win. And tell us about Lorena's uh, strengths as a rider. Yeah I think she's just crazy to be honest and she can yeah deal with the crazy and the hectic finals and also just super fast and yeah I think the fastest sprinter in the world at the moment. 
Does she have one of those brains that can just find the best wheel, or do you think it's just the pure power that she has that, that gives her the edge and means this is her second win this week? No, definitely. I think she always has a really good overview of the sprints and can kind of make split-second decisions and see where the lines are coming from and what wheel to choose. And, yeah, it helps when we have a nice lead-out, but, yeah, she is super fast. <laughs> Well, that was Pfeiffer Georgie there of Team DSM, kind of giving us a little bit of an insight into uh, what was going on at the finish for them. I actually spoke to Elisa Balsamo, um, who finished second um, on the stage, uh, and she was kind of a little bit pointed about, I was asking about who was doing, uh, who was bringing Hayley Simmons back, um, who was closing down that advantage. She was a little bit pointed in, in saying that it was, you know, uh, Valcar did it and SD Works did it and one member of um, Team DSM. Obviously, she probably didn't know what was going on for them um, as well. Um, and that, you know, Valka was going to honour the race by taking their responsibility in the sprint seriously. So I don't think she was particularly happy with um, Team DSM's all, effort in all the... All part r- of the game, though, it isn't is, it? I mean, it is. You know, You've know, got to keep you your powder dry. got brought back and, yeah. You know, I have to say, Valka, they always ride above their hierarchy yeah they do more than they should (laughs) they really do and you know they are a continental team and they ride in the sprints as if they are a really well drilled world tour team and i'm always so impressed with their teamwork they're always all in for one person and the thing is they've got three probably really top top world-class sprinters and even here they've got two of the best sprinters in the world and they don't care who it is including the world champion including the world champion and we actually saw the world champion on stage four leading out um Chiara Consani so they don't care who it goes who they go for but they always go all in for one person and I think it's just so great to see because you often don't see that in in kind of the lower level teams where the riders aren't getting paid as much because everybody's just fighting for a job so I'm really impressed by them yeah they are they are very well organized aren't they even if they sometimes maybe should be letting other teams do a bit of the uh the work but one other notable um part of the podium was Mayo van der Haloof, who we obviously to- talked about yesterday uh, from Drops and you were really impressive Lizzie with, with her stepping up once again. Yeah I was so impressed with her and I spoke to her after the stage and, and she was just thrilled and she was really kind of like riding on the wave of just getting better and better and she said her team was so amazing for her today and um, yeah so amazing in the lead out, protected her all day saved her energy the whole day and um, she was just thrilled to take World Tour podium here. Yeah, it was great when she actually was at the team buses uh, at the end and um, all of the drops team gave her a big round of applause when she arrived back because they are obviously absolutely thrilled by getting a World Tour a podium is, you know, a great, a great, great achievement for them. One notable absentee from the podium, though, was Chloe Hoskin, who I think uh, we were kind of expecting to see fighting for victory this week, maybe. She was definitely billed as a pre-race favourite for those bunch sprints, of course, which we have had quite a few of now. Um, But I caught up with her after the finish to see what she made of it all. Chloe, it was so good to see you coming back at Ladies Tour of Norway from a really difficult period, but a phenomenal stage win there. It just hasn't quite worked out for you yet this week, has it? No, exactly not yet. Um, Twice on the podium, it's not really what I'm here for. Um, Yeah, so one more chance tomorrow, although I would also be happy to see one of my teammates win from a break or whatever so we came with the aims of stage wins um, and it doesn't matter who gets it as long as someone does (laughs) so we've got one more chance. (laughs) 
And are you feeling the fact that you've only got four riders here this week? Obviously, you're, you're always such a strong team. You can always count on Trek to work so well as a team, but with four, it's tough. Yeah, I, it is. Um, we're, we're definitely outnumbered. Um, but uh, I actually feel like the, the girls are getting more fresh into the stage race, you know, coming straight off Roubaix. <laughs> they were a bit battered and bruised the first couple of stages and they were still, you know, coming out every day to help me. So I feel really lucky with that. And it is what it is. We're not the only team here with four. There's one team with two. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we're not alone in that um, department. So tomorrow is another day and we'll see what it brings. It could be for you, could be for anyone else. Yeah, exactly. So try and finish the tour strong. It's great that, you know, they were able to put it on this year. It's definitely one of the best organised races on the calendar and really glad that we could come back after such a long time away. Before we talk about Chloe Hosking and Trek a little bit maybe, can I be really irritating, even more irritating than usual? Oh, blimey. Lizzie, in the professional peloton, you refer to a second or a third on a stage as a podium finish. Is that that is the vernacular of professional cyclists? Yeah, a podium, the podium. Yeah, because my view is, and this, I may be in a minority of one here, is you can you're only a podium finisher if you actually go to the podium. So in a oh. one-day race, mm. first, second, and third. Mm. In a GC race, first, second, or third overall, but on the stage it's winner takes all I know you know I'm, I don't know I I'm just being a little I about this at the finish and I said isn't it a shame that uh, in this race the second and third rider don't doesn't get to go on the podium so you don't get to celebrate it I, because I, I might be wrong but I actually think they used to do that I'm actually pretty sure they definitely do it in uh, the Giro Rosa they definitely used to do it and I actually thought that they I'm, did it I'm here, not opposed to the didn't. idea I don't yeah but I think you know we use it as a shorthand term don't we getting on the podium or a podium place for a stage and I it always I've never I've never actually sort of I'm not I'm not as annoyed about that as Daniel is about the idea of somebody having a cappuccino after 11 <laughs> o'clock um, but it's just interesting just it, how the riders think about it that's that counts yeah. as a podium position and you get to the end of the season and say oh, I had 10 podium results and you know if that's how the riders think and, and feel about things fine by me who because am I to say because it depends what you know what you're expecting if you're expecting to win everything then you're going to be disappointed by being second and third if if you're not, then it's going to be something of value to you, I guess. It does vary between the race, but I have to say, I think that, that feeling of going on the podium is such a special feeling. And, you know, from the outside, we, we celebrate the top three. And I always think about the Tour de France. To get a, a podium, as <laughs> I would say, in the Tour de France, you don't get to go on the podium. And what an amazing thing that would be to go and celebrate with the second and the first rider who you're often in battle with to try and get that top spot. So, yeah, I think if I were a race organiser, I'd always have one, two and three on the podium. Or maybe like mountain biking, one to five. Oh, oh let's, wow. just, let's just get everyone <laughs> on the get podium. Everyone in. <laughs> 84 riders on the podium. Come on, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> um, oh, we should but, actually say, we're talking about 84 riders, we um, are looking for... Peddlers to Sean. Oh, very good. Which we've forgotten to mention every single podcast this week, which has been which has been terrible of us. Um, and I have the beautiful Stacy Snyder cup, specially made. Um, it says Peddlers to Charm on it, and it's just been sitting in the glove box, waiting to be presented tomorrow morning. Uh, but we want your nominations if you have any. Get them in really, really quick. Put them in on 
Twitter on there's yeah. probably some way of doing it on Instagram you can yeah or? Twitter at cycling underscore podcast or find us on Instagram and nominate somebody or just email us contact at the cycling podcast and if you yeah. can just put peddlers de charm uh, in the subject title it will help us enormously and uh, yeah nominations come in the jury will decide over breakfast tomorrow and Rose yes. will present the cup or Rose and Lizzie will present the cup tomorrow morning oh I think to probably just me because I think probably Lizzie's going to be already out on the course oh, aren't you? Course. Oh, I've got a long recon to do tomorrow it's 155 kilometres whoa <sighs> just we heard from Chloe Hosking there and she's been there or thereabouts on all of the finishes I think mm, hasn't she, she? Has. Um, apart from the day when there was a 10 rider break but she'd been in an earlier break that day um, but not not quite getting the win one more chance tomorrow it is the longest stage of the race it's probably the toughest stage of the race as well um we've been sort of a little bit disappointed that the wind hasn't got up too much Mm. these past two days but who knows tomorrow um the wind might be a factor as well one last chance for trek segafredo yeah the final day of the race is often always hell because there's so many teams that haven't got anything out of the race and even if a different team won the stage every day then that would only be six teams that could have won something so every team wants to get something out of this final stage and whether it's a break whether it's the stage win whether it's you know fighting for those jerseys which i i don't really think you can now i think that Mm. the the qom and the sprints jersey are nailed onto elise shabby and nina kessler so maybe everybody will be going hell for leather in a break and often even getting into that break can be a real challenge. So I wonder if uh, Trek will back maybe Lizzie or Audrey Cordon Rago tomorrow um, because, you know, Chloe's had three chances now and, and unfortunately hasn't pulled it off for Trek. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Well, thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast and allowing us to come on this holiday, uh, not holiday, um, <laughs> work clip. trip, work <laughs> trip um, at the seaside. Uh, thank you very, very much for them, to them. And uh, if you do want to get 25% off of your Science in Sport products, then head to scienceinsport.com. And the code you will need to get that 25% off is Lionel. Well, it's SISCP25. I'm not doing another football chant, but there is a little football link because uh, as we came into Clacton here today, we passed Clacton FC's football ground. We also started opposite Colchester United, I believe, we this did. morning. We did, that's right. Colchester United's new ground on the sort of outskirts of town, isn't it? A very nice, smart-looking stadium. Uh, anyone who... Uh, knows uh, football will know they're a League 2 side so they're in the Football League but Clacton are are in the Essex Senior League a very small club uh, a a quirky little ground and the reason we popped our heads in Simon Gill the photographer and I on the way into town is because one of the little stands is nicknamed uh, or called now the bus shelter because it looks like a bus shelter and they've even stuck bus timetable uh, (laughs) posters on the back of the stand I mean it could probably only get about 40 or 50 people under it at a push everyone stood in like sardines but uh, yeah I I thought that was quite nice Um, nice little detour we made there this afternoon I can't remember if we actually said the science and sport code after all of that. We did. I said SISCP25 and you can get 25% off everything um, as long as it's not in conjunction with any other discounts. You can't sort of stack up your discounts. Uh, Some people do ask us, why is is the code not working? And it's like, well, have you already applied another discount trying to get the price down to zero? I mean, they're generous, but not quite that generous. You've dropped into a pit of terms and conditions there, Lionel. (laughs) You ended up going into a terms and conditions... um, Vortex. Well, uh, one thing that we always do on the show is obviously talk about 
the winners, the successes of the day, the people who did uh, the best, uh, who came across the finish line first. But what I thought we would should do is have a, um, a bit of time talking to um, some of the people who finish at the back. Does that sound awful? I don't know. Well, for all their different various reasons, um, for all the various different reasons, a rider who might have finished uh, right at the back of the pack. Um, so I spoke this week to Jess Allen, um, who uh, was the last across the line on stage two, and Frankie Morgan Slader, who's a AWOL O'Shea rider, uh, who finished uh, at the back of the pack on stage four. And here's what they had to say. Now, Jess, I wanted to talk to you about stage two. Yeah. Um, and just persevering. And, you know, we saw so much on Twitter about it. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I was just having an absolute shocker of a day, to be honest. Even the first stage, I was really suffering. Um, yeah, so the second stage, I was dropped like 50k to go just by myself. Um, and I just couldn't pedal, basically. Like, I was just trying to go as hard as I could and, and going backwards. Um, and it was pretty demoralising, actually, because it was a circuit race. So every lap, you're passing the same people over and over again. And felt a bit embarrassing but I just kept trying to tell myself just to keep pushing like I wanted to stop I think every lap I'm like nah next lap I'll stop next lap I'll stop but yeah it was nice having like everyone cheering particularly the young kids on the side um and yeah I was just trying to think of positive things and things that make me happy and um yeah that got me through the day really and um yeah even the support from behind in the cars was really good they kept coming up to me making sure I was doing okay and and I got to the finish, I think, with a minute in time cut. So, yeah, it's good I could start again yesterday and got through that yesterday. So hopefully today, tomorrow and the next day I have better legs. And what was it that stopped you from just getting off your bike? Because it was also miserable, wasn't it? Like the weather was awful that day. Yeah, it was horrible. It was freezing cold. But um, I guess I just wanted to keep doing the job for the team in the next few days. And I just know that everyone does have really bad days sometimes. And um yeah, and you do have to keep pushing on. It's part of the job. You can't be awesome every day and every tour. So, um, yeah, just the thought of helping the team in the next few races really got me through. And, and yeah, just positive thoughts. Like, yeah, seeing my boyfriend and his family next week got me through as well. So just things that make me happy um, was really nice. Uh, so, Frankie, tell us, you're actually uh, on holiday. It's a bit of a strange time, uh, place to come on holiday, I guess. Yeah, so on a week of annual leave... Um, so I'm a junior doctor working in Blackpool, Victoria Hospital. I was actually meant to be on call this week, so I was. Uh, you can't normally take that as annual leave. So I was begging and borrowing, swapping shifts, um, and luckily managed to get this week off, which is it's just such an amazing opportunity. And what did you think of when you uh, heard that Awol O'Shea was got the call up to come to the women's tour and, and be among all of these uh, professional cyclists? Yeah, it was amazing because uh, I, t- I told my parents and they were so excited. They were like, you have to get it off. You have to try and get it as annually so that you can come. And uh, just, yeah, amazing opportunity to be able to come and race with, as we were saying, like it's like our heroes. I've been watching Lizzie Dignan in the Paris-Roubaix as I was driving down and you're like, I'm riding against her now. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. And, and how, uh, how many years are you now a junior doctor, have you, or have you just qualified? Um, so I'm in my second year of being a junior doctor. So they actually graduated us early because of COVID. So that was a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, I actually started working on a respiratory ward and I've worked on the COVID wards as well, which, is, uh, which was interesting. <laughs> yeah, so it's very intense. So, I mean, this, this is a bit of a holiday 
for you, I guess, even if it, for other people it would be like the most intense thing they have to do. Yeah, I'd much rather be here than at work. I love, no, because I love my job. Um, and I do really enjoy it, but it can be quite tiring and stuff. So this is a different kind of tiring, <laughs> but um, really enjoyable. I, I've been telling everyone to be watch it on ITV4, watch the highlights. Um, I was going around all the wards. Like, I'm racing next week, so excited. And then when I crashed on stage one, I was like, oh gosh, I better get back on because <laughs> I've told everyone that I'm racing all week and I've booked all this annual leave. I was like, I've got to finish. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's been, to be honest, having booked it as annual leave has made it, um, given me some extra motivation to try and get round and survive till the end, basically. And what has it been like? Um, you know, what what's the intensity of the racing been like for you? God, it's been so fast, so fast. And as I said, on stage one, I crashed um, about 70 kilometres in and um, chased back on. And, but it's kind of taken its toll a bit because my body's been trying to heal the like scars and stuff and recover from racing that's way harder than I would normally do um, and today I almost got dropped in the first 10 kilometers and I was like no my parents are watching I've got to get back on I can see you did you do your bandage you've got uh, your whole right arm well your right elbow is bandaged up did you do those bandages yourself <laughs> no I went to the first aid tent <laughs> because we'd run out of um We'd run out of the plaster and stuff, so I had been cleaning it myself, but the problem is when you're trying to clean your own wounds, you, you don't want to hurt yourself. You know, like, it's quite hard to actually clean something properly. And so we had one of my teammates, like, pinning me down as, uh, as our team manager was cleaning it with alcohol wipes, and I was screaming my head off. But So doctors don't make very good patients. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to hear from riders. I mean, first of all, Someone always has to finish last. That's how it goes in a race. And, of course, in the Tour de France, the last rider overall is celebrated with uh, the, the unofficial Lanterne Rouge mm. prize. So um, it's a part of cycling. And the riders at the back often have the most interesting stories because um, th they're often beset by uh, you know, crashes or mechanical problems or the wrong side of splits or they're struggling for one reason or another. And that's all part of the rich tapestry of the peloton, I think. So, um, and especially in this race, you know, hearing, uh, hearing this, this, the story of someone for whom um, professional cycling is only a part of their working life. Um, I mean, Lizzie, you have a medical background as well. And I was going to ask you about that tipping point when you went from... Um, a, a previous career path and, and deciding, no, I'm going to go for professional cycling. Then It must be trickier for the women, given the, the way the sport is evolving, to make that jump. It's, you know, the men don't have to um, you know, make quite the same sorts of decisions, do they? Because if they're good enough to go in at the top level, they know they're going to get a certain element of security. It's not quite the same on the women's side, is it? No, it was really tricky. And when I made the decision to leave medical school, I had to meet with two of the deans in order to make sure that it was definitely the right thing to do. And one of them said to me, OK, well, can you earn a living? And I said, no, I can't. And I knew that I would only be able to do it because I was very fortunate that um, my now husband was supporting me and without that, I couldn't have done it. But in that um, four years, it's gone from a point where I was earning 
well, I'll tell you, 10,000 US dollars, which was about 6,000 pounds. And I was racing in America then, so I had a lot of prize money, which helped. But to the point now where I'm the breadwinner in the family. So it's an incredible change that we're seeing. And, and I never, ever thought that I would be able to really make a living from it. I thought, oh, if I get, get to the top, I could probably, you know, I could probably support myself. But I didn't think that I would actually be, you know, I would be the one supporting the family. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm so privileged to be a part of the time of cycling, of women cycling when, when that is happening, everything's taking off and other riders can come into this and see it as a career path rather than just a passion. I thought going back to what Mark Cavendish was saying at the start of the programme, you know, it might not be something that people want to hear, you know, that the... the, the have the generations having to be patient and the rewards as the sport grows and gets bigger um, but it is actually it is actually true the riders that are competing today are laying the foundations for something I definitely feel that this week this event uh, has taken me by surprise in lots of different ways um, but it does feel like there is some momentum it's not perfect but it does feel like there's that momentum behind it at the moment definitely and and with all the changes in new teams coming in you know people always say oh you know it's women's cycling's in a really difficult place but then year upon year it improves and we have more teams and we have better salaries and we have more riders coming through and it's like people always want to find a way to trip us up or to make it not work and we always just fight back and get better and get stronger and things keep improving so you know it's a real fine balance between pushing for more because we can't just say like yeah we're fine we're happy with this not complaining about it pushing for more um but not being complacent but still saying we want something and it's it's a really fine balance and i don't think we always get it right but as long as we keep pushing we will get there eventually it can be hard sometimes can't can't it to to celebrate the the small steps and the small uh victories but i think you know having covered women's cycling for many years now I mean it is incredible how rapid um, the growth of it has been and the support for it has been and look at us now we're in Clacton like you know living the dream top of top of the tree now aren't we, we? are we are I mean um, I'm just looking out to see there the tide has now gone out and the sand dunes have been exposed and I think we're on about the third <laughs> over at the moment <laughs> and uh, the, 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 the team in dark wetsuits are 15 <laughs> for three um, <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, a little bit of local flavour. I went on the search for cockles and mussels and whelks and um, other things in shells. And Is that the thing here or not? Cockles well, definitely mussels are alive, alive, though, isn't it? Um, yeah, let's not, get in, let's not get into the origins of that because I have no idea. Um, but I uh, was unsuccessful. I don't oh. know whether it's... This feels a little more out of season than South Ended. Obviously, it's a it's a smaller town, mm. isn't it, Clacton? I imagine it was busy over the summer. Um, maybe I'll have more luck in Felixstowe, but there is a slight Clacton-Felixstowe um, overlap on the, the local flavour. I was going to miss my opportunity to say that this is a, the Clacton Claxon um, signifying this segment, but my researcher, who's done some absolutely fantastic <laughs> research today, has been telling me about the Mournsel forts, which were built in the Second World War to basically defend this coast from uh, attack uh, by the enemy forces, and they're, they're kind of... Uh, they stick out of the sea, and they would have been armed barriers, I guess. People would have, would have been on the lookout... Uh, for any invaders uh, but in the 60s uh, if you remember that far back or know about the pirate radio the boom in the 60s what's that if you remember the 60s 
do you not remember the 60s, Rose? <laughs> I, I, all right. Or do you know about the 60s? Have you heard of the 60s? I do, and I know about pirate radio. Pirate radio. In the 60s, in the UK, radio was very heavily regulated. You couldn't just, you couldn't just buy a recorder and three mics and just broadcast like we're doing. You had to, uh, you had to actually be authorised. And so pirate radio stations um, set up uh, outside of the jurisdiction, and they, they did so you know, basically out to sea. And a gentleman called... Roy Bates, who'd actually worked in the milita- military prior to this, uh, oc- basically got himself out to one of these Maunsell forts and declared it the independent principality of Sealand, and he set up Essex Radio, uh, Radio Essex actually, and started broadcasting from the platform. Um, it was Why didn't sh- he call it Sealand Radio if he, he made it should independent? Have, should have done. Maybe he was hoping the people it? of Essex would would listen because uh, the population of Sealand was one. <laughs> yes. Anyway, he defended uh, his Maunsell fort with um, guns and petrol bombs and one of the other Maunsell forts which I believe is the one up near Felixstowe has uh, was destroyed to stop any other would-be broadcasters from trying the same trick so no such uh, restrictions on the cycling podcast we're able to just sit here on the shore and look out to sea and broadcast as our hearts wish and watch a wonderful game of cricket yeah, you don't you don't fancy getting in a dinghy and going out to a Maunsell Fort and starting the what would we call it the Independent the, uh, Republic of maybe a, maybe podcast. there could be a sort of tiny track event on on the more you know a six day on one of the Maunsell Forts, but that's perhaps fanciful. I don't know. They're not perhaps not big enough. I like how they, it's only at that point that it becomes fanciful. The rest of it is <laughs> is is totally totally likely. Well, well, thank you for that, Lionel. That was. Very interesting, and it is interesting to sit here and uh, be looking out. I think I thought I saw a Maunsell Fort earlier, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. I think that we're looking out actually on the horizon, uh, full of wind turbines, which mm. are um, rather serene. I think turning round and round, and we'll probably uh, tomorrow night actually be able to see the same wind turbines. I just imagine because we're only shimmying a little bit uh, up the coast to Felixstowe. Uh, we've got a stage that starts in Haverhill. Um, Similar in uh, similar similar in direction to today's kind of travelling southeast down towards the coast. Uh, what are we to expect there, Lizzie? Well, I wonder if we're going to see a breakaway, like I said before. And it's you know still flattish terrain, but I think there are a few more lumps and bumps than we've seen for the last few days. Um, we're going to have some tired legs, but then actually, interestingly, speaking to a lot of the riders, a lot of them are saying that. You know, because Paris-Roubaix was so, so hard, they're just coming around to really good form now at the end of the race. So it could be a lot of attacks on the line tomorrow. And I wouldn't be surprised if SD Works let a breakaway go, who've got, you know, enough of a margin, you know, on the GC that doesn't put Demi Vollinger at risk and then just hold it there because that sweeps up any seconds for them and they're not worried about it. So we'll see. Well, it's perfect. It's going to be the last stage, so it's going to be... uh a chaotic one. It'll be uh, a shame to be saying goodbye to our new little trio, but we'll we'll leave the tears till tomorrow uh, in Felixstowe. <laughs> Hopefully Felixstowe doesn't make us Play cry. out with sobbing tomorrow, <laughs> shall we? Okay. okay. <laughs> we can look forward to that. Uh, but for now, thank you very much, Lionel. Thank you, Rose. And thank you, Lizzie. Thank you very much.